It's Thursday the 28th of January. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. Now Shane, oh, uh, my spies tell me that you caught up with a couple of mates of mine, Richard Wilkins and Luke Mangan yesterday. How are you shaping? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, yeah, I do a, another podcast called Lunch with Lee where I try and get either sportsmen and musicians or entertainers together and we do it over lunch, mate. It's a nice little thing but yeah, um, Richard Wilkins and Luke Mangan, which will come out on Monday, Lunch with Lee. So uh, it was a good laugh, mate. They are good blokes. <laughs> They're a couple of characters. All right, but we will talk sport here. We've got plenty to talk about. Brad Timmons, of course, the world of esports. Make sure you listen to this. It's fascinating to see the way it has grown through 2020. And what about the Sydney Thunder? There was a hailstorm the other day, but you've got the superstars. Then you've got guys that are still working. John O'Cook, classic case, still works in the NBM. We'll talk to him. It's all on the way. Shane, let's look at the cricket. Matthew Wade, those shots that he made in three test matches, well, they set off alarms, didn't they? So they haven't picked him. No, he's been dropped um, from the potential two of South Africa. Uh, his test average now is slipping just under 30. But I think you're right, Timmy. It was the way that he got out during the test series here that probably has been the cause of him being dropped. Um, yeah, so so Wade makes way for the potential two to South Africa. Um you know, the, the the guy did play some bad shots, but he was moved up and down the order from opener down to the middle order. But, um, yeah, averaging under 30 as a top five in a, in a test team is not good enough. So, um, yeah, Matthew Wade probably may have played his last test match. I mentioned here the other day Alex Carey breathing down the neck of Tim Payne, and, and it looks like it, doesn't it? Uh, even Trevor Hones, the chairman of selectors, has come up and said he is the heir apparent. Now, he's in the squad. He could even play with Tim Payne with that sort of faltering middle order. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Dropping one wicketkeeper batsman for another, but keeping the incumbent wicketkeeper. It's, uh, it's amazing how it happens. But, yeah, it was a good call, Timmy, and he is breathing down the neck of Timmy Payne. Um, but the selectors have come out and publicly supported Tim Payne for at least this series. So it'll be a big series against the South Africans. They are a, a very good bowling attack, particularly on their home turf. And don't forget, the last tour there was the tour with the sandpaper gate. So uh, the Aussies will be a little bit nervous. I'm sure the crowds will get stuck into us. Yeah, the journos will be uh, absolutely salivating over what may possibly happen. But Tim Payne, no doubt, will be feeling the pressure. He's 36. He's towards the end of his career, but we'll watch that with interest. The Australian, uh, or Cricket Australia, has made some uh, fairly... Well, well, difficult demands on the South African uh, hotel system and other parts to make sure this bubble works. Yeah, it's tough. Um, they're really concerned about bubble fatigue of the players themselves. But uh, yeah, looking ahead, South Africa's had currently 1.5 million coronavirus cases. There's been 44,000 deaths over there. So um, sitting over your uh, your number one sporting team is, is a big consideration in and around that and make sure they're protected. So they're looking forward to that. I know that the team doctor has asked if the players themselves can get vaccines ahead of time prior to getting on that plane in March. So we'll watch that space to see whether, I'm sure that'll create some interest as well, that uh, the Aussie careers are getting a, um, a leg up and getting a vaccine before some of the older people get it. So... There could be some issues there. Yeah, and, and Tennis Australia, look, I can't wait for the Australian Open. I think Craig Tiley and all his crew have done a fantastic job, but I am dead set as an observer getting quarantine observation uh, fatigue because everyone from Novak and mm. now but but Serena is, is a big voice. Serena Williams is a big voice and she's come out and said, Look, well, these strict rules needed to be in place. Isn't she a superstar? 
I, I, I love Serena Williams. I just love the fact that she is an absolute competitor herself. She's she's a superstar champion, but she just gets it. She gets on with it. And um, now I'm a big fan, and she, and she gets that uh, Australia's strict uh, quarantine regulations are a big factor in why we're, we're being so well managed down here. So um, good on you, Serena. Big tick to her, and you know, she'll get plenty of support from the Aussie uh, fans when she comes out. It will be nice to see no more stories on it, though, won't it? It would be nice, wouldn't it? I'm sick of talking about it, mate, but uh, that is a life we live in, Timmy. It is absolutely, but the, the, the Queen Mary of COVID is changing and turning slowly. <laughs> All right, finally, uh, look, the, the great tradition of, of Australian players in the EPL um, overnight, the 53rd player to start in an EPL team. Uh, look, this goes back to the Craig Johnsons and, and so many great names. Yep, Caleb Watts made his debut for Southampton. Um, he's a midfielder wearing the number 65, and um, yeah, congratulations. It is a big thing. I think as a, as a young um, footballer or soccer player in Australia, now the EPL is where you want to be potentially one day. It seems a long way away, but uh, he's done it. So we'll watch and support him with um, with close attention, mate. Absolutely. Coming up, this is a, a remarkable story. Jonathan Cook. He works a normal job and plays for the Sydney Thunder. He's next. Afternoon sport. Well, the Sydney Thunder, there was a hailstorm the other night uh, with Alex Hales. Absolutely phenomenal. They're in the finals and we are joined by one of their men, Jonathan Cook. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Jono, uh, we're down the business end of the season, mate. How are the Thunder shaping up? Yeah, very good. Um, very happy to be in the finals. Happy to secure that, that third spot, um, which means we have to play off for like fourth or fifth. But um, yeah, we're in good form. I think we've got that momentum now coming to the finals, which we've which we've wanted. Um, there was a bit of a hiccup, sort of a few weeks ago, but um, yeah, we're shaping up well. Seems like a really tight knit group too uh, under Callum Ferguson, Shane Bond. Exactly. Yeah, we've had we've been lucky enough to sort of have some continuity over the last few seasons with our main squad. We've had. Yeah, you know, a good core group that has um, has stuck around for two, three seasons, and I think that was one of the big things that uh, Bondi was trying to trying to um, introduce when he started coaching. That you know we have that continuity with with the squad, um, and it seems like we're just getting better and better over the last two, three seasons. Mate, it seems that this year the the competition seems really close, and anyone in the top five uh, potentially could take it out. Where do you guys see your main competition moving forward? I know it's game per game you got to you got to look at, but where where do you see the the real um, tough competition coming from? Yeah, it's really close, and that's why you saw that such a close uh, day of cricket the other day. With I think it was like um, leading to that, there was four or five teams nearly on 22, 23 points. And um, main, main competition, it, it's it's really tough to, to choose because anyone on their day um, can can beat anyone. So I think you've got to be looking at the scorches and, and, and sixes. They've, they've had that consistency throughout the whole season. But you look at the teams like um, the Strikers and Hobart Hurricanes um, and some of the big hitters, like you saw the Australian squad get announced and, and there's players everywhere. So... Every team on their day is dangerous and um, you've certainly got to bring you a game. Yours is a cracking story, Jonathan. We've got so many superstars flying in from all over the world, from the West Indies, from England. Now, you yourself uh, hold down a job. You you work for the NBN and this has been like a a shining light at the back end of your career. You're in your early 30s. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a bit, a bit of a different story compared to everyone else's. But yeah, I've, I'm a bit of a late bloomer coming into the BBL. Um, I think I was 28 when I made my debut. So um, giving hope to anyone out there who's who's still playing grey cricket in the at the end of their 20s, basically. Um, yeah, but I'm um, I've got a career outside of cricket. Um, so career at the moment, this BBL competition that goes for about two and a half months is is my whole day, which is which is a nice one. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I've got to go back to work once this is all over, back to reality, back to the nine to five grind. But um, it's it, for me, it's it's a bit. I, I look at it as a bit of a positive that um, work for me is a distraction from cricket, and cricket is a distraction from work as well. So I've got a bit of both sides. No, well said, and it definitely gives you perspective as well. I think the interesting thing I found, mate, I think you won the you won the New South Wales cricket uh, grade cricket O'Reilly Medal in two thousand and eighteen, I think it was. Um, and but a guy is now playing much grade cricket at all, or is it depends on on your circumstance, I suppose. Yeah, still playing quite a bit of grade cricket. Uh, just leading into um, in, into the big bash, particularly this year with. There's no second eleven. There's no generally yeah. we also fund to have an academy. There was no academy games because of the COVID situation. So grey cricket was the main preparation for for majority of us um, that weren't even those that weren't playing shield cricket or in that shield hub. So, but it does yeah, it certainly puts things into perspective for me personally that um, you know I get to travel um, around Australia playing cricket, playing against the best cricketers. In the country, um, I'm not certainly not saying that I just take it for granted, but I'm able to really appreciate the, the situation that I'm in, and particularly in these circumstances, like the fact that we can play cricket and we can travel at times when other people can't, you know, leave their state. Um, it's something to be um, really grateful for. Yeah, and then some some really nice stories, like your parents coming down. The, the retired teachers living in Port Macquarie came down for your debut and uh, spreading a bit of love around the family. Yeah, yeah, that's always good. I got my sister up in up in Gold Coast as well, and I've actually got another sister overseas in in Amsterdam in lockdown, and she's trying to do her best when when I am playing and and trying to watch the cricket. So, um, been saying that. All the players, all their family have been amazing, even this season. Um, trying to get into the into the hubs and, and all that has been pretty tiring and, and a bit of a um, an issue sometimes, but the, the players are definitely getting their support while they're in this hub as well. Well, John, I reckon uh, come finals time in, in uh, 2020 cricket, spinners come into their own, mate, and you've got best figures of four for 21, so I'm tipping a fifer for you in the finals, mate. Go for it, son. I'd love a fifer. I think uh, Zach Evans <laughs> got a fifer the other day. Um, they're yeah. rare, aren't they? So um, if you're back me, I'll, uh, I'll take that. And, um, I'm backing you, mate. I'll run with, I'll run with it. Yep. Good on you, Jono. Look, uh, it's, a, it's a great story. And as you mentioned, for, for cricketers that are still playing grade cricket or even young people, you never give up, do you? And uh, you would appreciate every single minute you've got with the Sydney Thunder. Thanks for coming on Afternoon Sport. No problem. Thanks for having me. The world of esports is absolutely exploded during COVID. Our man, all things esports, Brad Timmons coming up on Afternoon Sport. Stump to Stump is Australia's newest and most interactive cricket platform for all cricket fans, players and clubs to share stories, match results, memories and experiences. Stumptostump.com Well, 
it's time to talk esports. Last time we had this man on a two way, quite a reaction. Brad Timmons is our man, all things esports. How are you, Brad? Yeah, good, Tim. Hi, Shane. How are you, mate? Brad, just first up, mate, let's talk through the esports. What are the actual esports that currently are sort of getting some attention? So, you know, everybody's heard about the game Fortnite. I think it's pretty fair to say that if you've got a player base of over 350 million players around the world, you're going to get a bit of attention. Um, The genre that that game falls within is 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 called Battle Royale. It's basically Mm -hmm. 100 people jump, jump into a map and the last person wins and you can play by yourself, you can play in teams. And as a subsequence, it's become a relatively legitimate esport in a very short period of time across about three or four different titles. So that's that's one of the new kids on the block. And then you've got some of the older uh, genres like MOBAs, which uh, stands for Multiplayer Online Battle Arena, if I'm starting to nerd up. <laughs> there are games like League of Legends and Dota who have got a huge legacy fan base, um, in particular in, um, in Southeast Asia and, um, and, and markets like China. Just, just quickly, I know this is a slight down uh, an alleyway to the left, but Fortnite as a, as a game, look, I've got a boy that likes it, and I'm sure that many parents are in that same position. There was a, there was a lot of criticism in and around the game, wasn't it, when it, when it came out? Is it too violent? Where does it sit? Uh, what reaction does it have? Yeah, I think um, it, it's quantified as what you call a first-person shooter, and I think that name scares a lot of parents, and I think mm. the spectrum of games um, in that genre where you talk about titles that are a little bit more gratuitously violent, the gun, the guns and the people that are playing in the game look very, very realistic. And that can sort of wig out a few a few people. I think games like Fortnite tend to not have kills. They have eliminations. Um, they're uh, cartoon-esque characters a lot more. Um, and, and and just the look and feel, it's it's a bit more fantasy, fantasy uh, based as opposed to real world. So um, it, it does have a spectrum that you need to consider. Um, I think probably more of the criticism, Tim, came from how long people were playing on that game because it's mm-hmm. a seriously fun game and then, and parents do worry about um, um, about playtime as well. Hey, Brad, let's talk through um, PSG's ownership now. For those that don't know, it's, it's a French professional esports organisation. PSG stands for Paris Saint-Germain. Talk, talk us through that because what we're seeing is actual organisations now owning their own esports teams and trying to emulate uh, existing sporting organisations. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's a crazy stat that 32 out of the top 50 highest value sporting clubs in the world now have esports and gaming now, you know, those 50 uh, clubs all have a $2 billion valuation. They understand the power of video games in the context of their, their club's brand equity, for example. I think what's super interesting is the vast majority of those are um, playing in their namesake sports. There's football mm. teams like FIFA and they've got a FIFA esports team. There's NBA teams that have got NBA 2K teams. Um, whereas you just hit it on the head chain, um, uh, franchises like Paris Saint-Germain have um, MOBA teams. So their Dota 2 team, which is a very popular um, game, sells more jerseys of their Dota 2 team in China than they do their football club. Right. So they're recognizing that their brand is going to transition in and diversify. We know that the AFL, for example, are moving into um, esports. They had a, uh, an announcement yesterday with, with Fortnite and they've already had 50,000 uh, registered players who are AFL fans playing in their own competition. So that continual transition of not just namesake game um, uh, position is going to become more and more important. I guess the interesting part is 
how does that work into the context of, of grassroots? Because I think a lot of clubs and codes would worry about kids playing too much video games and maybe not playing the physical sport when in actual fact, they're going to do it anyway. And I think if those clubs and codes can recognize how to have a relationship with video games and traditional sport, they've got a really good chance with their, um, with their grassroots programs as well. Well, you mentioned the AFL. We've got an esports team domiciled in one of the grandstands. Not not many people would know this, but I did a story on it at the Sydney Cricket Ground. So uh, it really is becoming part of the framework, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And I think this is this idea that you just have to um, acknowledge that, you know, kids have got a, a plethora of different forms of entertainment from traditional sport and esports and gaming and music and even action sports. And if you can fit into their lives in a really healthy way and, and, and acknowledge that, that that's quite cool, um, then you've got a really good chance of, you know, keeping those kids um, uh, into your ecosystem and potentially into your professional scene. So, Brett, are you seeing in, a, in these sporting organisations now almost a another selector so you've got you we're talking about the Australian cricket team the Australian cricket team have just announced through their selectors the team to go to South Africa are you seeing that with esports as well do they have different selectors selecting say a talented esports gamer from Singapore so there's uh, the biggest gaming um, and esports organization in the world is, is a company called FaZe um, they're, they're worth over 400 million dollars Ben Simmons has invested in them um, Manchester City is their football um, partner of choice and I was speaking with them recently and they are constantly in data and analytics looking for up and coming talent. So they might be reviewing a kid for six months before they even have a conversation with him. Now, yeah. the tricky part, Shane, is not just about how well uh, he or she plays a video game. It's how entertaining you are when you get on YouTube. If you're going to be a live Twitch streamer, how many followers uh. you get. It's your social and brand sentiment when you're putting a tweet out. And I think because everything's in this digital ecosystem, you're not only having to um, be reviewed about how well you play, but but also about how popular potentially that you can become and and and, and, and responsible, um, I guess, talent coming into a market which does have um, a high youth propensity as well. Because it does sit in the digital ecosystem, as you say, Brad, it must have been one of these areas that really benefited from the pandemic. We've seen advantage and disadvantage, of course, in the world we live in. Yeah, I I mean, Twitch just did their final result on their um, 2020 hours that were watched on that platform. And it was 1,100 billion minutes watched on Twitch alone. So I think... They've gone up to 45 million monthly uniques in the US. There's 150 million people watching that platform on a monthly basis. And and the numbers have continued to grow exponentially because, you know, you hear the jokes, I, I just finished Netflix. So there's no, uh, there's a lack of, a lack of product. Live sports obviously been um, uh, uh, hurt somewhat in the context of this pandemic. And yet video games has continued to go from strength to strength. Brad, any big events coming up uh, we should be looking out for on the esports platform? Yeah, so um, the Australian Open, um, uh, there's going to be uh, some very big announcements um, in the Australian Open. They've had a relationship with esports um, for uh, for the last three or four years. So obviously the biggest sporting event in January mm. um, will we'll, we'll have some announcements in esports. So, so watch that space. And then I think it's going to be a really interesting year for esports also to bounce back post-pandemic to figure out what their their model looks like because they 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 they've also been affected by lack of physical events, um, but the digital events will only go from uh, from strength to strength. So, so it's an exciting time. A dual-edged question to finish with, buddy. But uh, what does it take to to run an esports team? And and can you just give us a little bit of a, a synopsis of the difference between the individual and the team sports? 
Yeah, so I think it's it, it's not dissimilar to running a sporting club. You know, uh, it, it is getting to that level where there are there are high performance coaches teaching the players on how to handle stress and um, and pressure in the context of gaming. Um, the individual sports um, uh, aren't as prevalent with setting up those sorts of organisations. So you'll get like a Fortnite competition, a Call of Duty competition. Uh, Call of Duty has just launched their um, 2021 CDL um, and the teams within that franchise were 25 million plus. So in, in order for you to invest such a significant investment into an esports team, you are starting to see very similar uh, structures to, um, to sporting clubs and codes. Mate, thanks, Brad. But we're seeing real similarities, mate, from uh, the way that traditional sport is run. Just the the fact you said before about you know, looking for lockability of these esports superstars. Um, they were doing that years ago with David Beckham. You know, pulling out his IP component from his playing contract and and putting a marketing dollar to that. So um, we're seeing the same things. But we're going to continue catching up with you, mate, and keeping up to breast with all things esports, mate. So thanks for your time, Brad. Awesome, Shane. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, yeah I remember the David Beckham story, $176 million to LA Galaxy. And everyone goes, oh, no one else in his team's getting paid that kind of money. Uh, merchandise paid for it in a week. <laughs> Good on you, Brad. That was fantastic, mate. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you today goes out to Brad Timmons and to Jonathan Cook. Thank you also, Shane, to our sponsors, Spartan Sports. SpartanSportsHQ.com, mate. Great sponsor. Oh, yeah, and he is the he's the prince, the king of podcasts, Dan McHugh. He really is, and, and sartorially elegant as well. We'll see you tomorrow. See you then, guys.